0: The SNEScapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library. Four games at a time! We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and, uh... That's pretty
1: much all you need to know. Wow, Krusty, will you sign my alarm clock?
0: Uh, no, he can't. He had to immediately go drink a bunch of water, so he's not going to be joining us for the rest of the episode, I'm afraid. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know it's, I know it's tough. That that voice, it just eats your throat up. He's really brave to do it as much as he does. Well, that was an exciting cameo for the start of the show, uh, even though uh, I did bring my, my Krusty brand alarm clock with me here just for him to sign it. And, uh... Now uh, I gotta take it back on the train, and uh, it's probably gonna get stolen.
0: We'll we'll see if we can get him out here one more time. You know, uh, uh, when the mics are off. Uh, okay, good, to, good. Just to, to sign it silently.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that'd be fine. That'd be fine. I'm Steampunk Link. Did you introduce yourself? I didn't. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, I'm here to talk about the games. Yeah, I uh, we're we're gonna talk about games in in a pretty decent spread of genres today,
0: you know like nothing that I really really hate today you know yeah. like, I, I think i can I can muster something nice to say about absolutely everything that we're gonna talk about today, even if a lot of these aren't really what you'd call great games or even games that I would recommend.
1: I'm gonna say a couple of these are definitely not really my jam, but I Yeah, there's something to recommend all of them. Maybe not, uh, for the most part, all-time classics, but, you know, considering that I think that we are just about at, like, the midpoint of uh, 1992 now, this is not a a tremendously rough period for the system, I'll say We're
0: kind of getting into a rhythm now where... Stuff is coming out on the system that's just kind of – like, you can have stuff that's not spectacularly good or bad. It's just kind of there, and and things are just going to start coming out at a really – Rapid clip. Like, I, th- I think, you know, we're we're still a year away from just, like, a real glut of stuff coming out on the system. I
1: think we're past the point now where there was a lot of built-up really good stuff from, like, the Super Famicom launch that they could bring out in kind of rapid-fire succession here. We're not really getting, like, kind of the greatest hits of the Super Famicom at this point. So we're getting some good new stuff, and we're getting ports from other things. We're getting a fair bit more stuff developed in in the West at this point. Some of that is better than other stuff, I'll say. But there's still a lot of, I think, kind of different things being tried with the system at this point. Some of it is kind of wild stabs at things that I'm going to say don't really work tremendously well on it. But it's still kind of cool that they tried them. You know, I'm interested in all of this stuff because a lot of it is stuff that I've never really Really played before
0: i definitely had not played any of the four games previously that we played uh today yeah these are all interesting things and how about we just get right into it and we start talking about our first game yeah let's do it So first up for today, we've got Super Soccer, developed by Human Entertainment and published by Nintendo. Uh, Human Entertainment, they are a company that have released some really quirky, weird titles. They're also the company behind the Fire Pro Wrestling series, which is a very prominent wrestling game series, and it's... uh something of a revival in the last couple years which means it's actually survived its original developer because human entertainment themselves folded in 1999 unfortunately I
1: think that fire Pro I think it's on like its third publisher now maybe people that were involved in older fire Pro games just like keep Reviving it as they move from company to company, you know, uh, good for them. Uh, those games have a lot of fans. They also did some other games that very different from that, very famous uh, games that never came out in the US, like the original Clock Tower. Which is a genuinely very cool horror game for the Super Nintendo. They also did a game called SOS, which is kind of like a cinematic platform game set on a sinking ship.
0: It was going for a very Poseidon adventure sort of aesthetic to it, and that one actually did come out over here. So we will. Oh, be that did. About okay. That one eventually. Cool. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that one did. But sadly, Clock Tower didn't. So. We likely won't be talking about that one, which really bums me out because, yeah, we played that one on a YouTube channel uh, several years ago, and that's a game that holds up. It's a really good horror game, and the Super Nintendo over here didn't really ever get
1: a proper horror game, and yeah, it's a bummer. It is a bummer, but um, that did get Super Soccer courtesy of Nintendo themselves, and uh, I am glad about that because I was really kind of surprised by how much I liked this game.
0: Soccer hasn't had a good representative on the Super Nintendo yet. The only game we played previous was, um, well, a game that I don't even remember the title of off the top of my head now. But It was World League Soccer by Mindscape. That's right, yeah. Um, Super Soccer is just a really well-presented soccer game. It controls really well. I actually found myself uh, doing things like passing the ball, yeah. in which I, I didn't do in the previous game. It's no wonder that Nintendo picked this up to sort of be the successor to their own soccer series, because... Yeah, it, it looks good. It's uh, a lot of fun to play, even as somebody who, again, is not a sports person. And, you know, I, I don't know a ton about professional soccer.
1: But it's just, it's very easy to pick up and play, and it feels good. This feels good just as, a like, a pure action video game to play. It's sort of arcade and sort of, like, the best way, I would say. You can pick it up and just sort of immediately grasp what you're supposed to do with these controls. Uh, it makes a pretty good use of the Mode 7 effect to kind of simulate a uh, a 3D soccer field that you're running up and down. We've had problems with a lot of other sports games on the system, uh, like team sports games, where it's very hard to see kind of like who you're controlling or figure out exactly what the controls are supposed to do to make the ball go where you want it to. And I very rarely had problems like that when playing this game.
0: Yeah, I will say I still got my butt kicked. I I selected the team with the best stats and I had the computer set to the team with the worst stats and I still lost.
1: I still lost as well, but I did score a couple of goals which is kind of better than I've done with a lot of these sports games. More to the point I don't necessarily feel like when I lost these games it was just because I had no idea what the hell to do. This game has a couple of different modes. It's got a single, uh, single game mode. There's a tournament mode and a, a thing where you're you're kind of just uh, shooting, uh, shooting the ball at at the goal from like kind of a behind the back perspective on the players.
0: In the exhibition mode, as they call it, which is the single game mode, you can play uh, one player versus two player, one player against the computer, or uh, two players against the computer.
1: So, one thing I am curious about: did you find that the stats for the different players had much of an effect on on how they played or or what you could do with them? To be honest,
0: I don't know if I noticed anything like that. I I'm not sure if I would have. And again, like I don't know a ton about professional soccer. Like before you start a game, it gives you the option of how you want your players positioned. I don't actually know like what the advantages and disadvantages of any given setup like that are i will say playing as a team with higher or having a the computer controlling a team with slightly higher stats they seemed a lot more aggressive about getting the ball away from me whenever i had it A few other things I really appreciated about the game, like in tournament mode, you can save your progress with a password, which is good, because otherwise you'd have to play like, I think it's like 16 friggin' games in one sitting, so...
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's
0: good that, you know, the, the tournament play gives you that option. Tournament play does not let you do one V2 player, but you can still do co-op, which is neat. There's also like a yellow and red card mechanic in the game, so uh, at one point when I was playing the computer, the computer, I guess, uh, committed a foul against me, and... The referee actually stops play, walks onto the field, waits a beat, and then holds up whichever card they give to the player. However, that is, I don't even know what the terminology there is. Do they give it to the player? Does- I don't know. but um, You know,
1: my, my father would be very disappointed, given that he is a big soccer fan, but I also don't know. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: But in any case, yeah, the referee holds up whichever card. Like, even the way that is presented is pretty good. The way that you wait a beat, just like you would in real soccer. Like, oh, what's he got? What's going to happen? Yeah, there's
1: a lot of good little presentational things in this. Like, uh, when the teams are going out onto the field to start the game or, or start, like, uh, that part of the match, there's kind of like a, a side-on view. View of the team you know going going past and uh, you can press a button to make them all jump. Uh, you know I like that there's like a little bit of personality in that part of the game. The graphics aren't, I, I guess, exceptional, but they're bright, they're pretty colorful, they're very clear, which is good. They are not tiny little stick figure men like uh, like they were in the last soccer game we played. Yeah,
0: and more importantly, the perspective on the field is angled, so you're actually seeing entire player sprites and not just the tops of their head and shoulders that you got in the other game, which was just a, a top-down view. No,
1: uh, the, the perspective really hugely adds to this game, I think.
0: Yeah, really gives you the sense of like being in the thick of it whereas top down sports games like that just really can't get you into the action the way that these new perspectives can these angled perspectives can So, hey, do we want to talk about where this goes on the list? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've got World League Soccer right now at number 47, the only other soccer game on this list, and this is... It
1: blows that one out of the water, yeah. yeah, Way better game than that. What is our highest-rated sports game? Um,
0: it might actually be John Madden Football at number 27. I think I might like this one more than John Madden Football. What do you think? I
1: do, yeah. I I enjoyed playing this one a lot. This feels like a pretty good representation of the sport, and it's just a fun video game to play. I think,
0: you know, like it also just Sort of benefits from the fact that I think soccer is just an inherently more accessible game than football is, or American football is. Yeah, absolutely. So that's John Madden at number 27. At number 26, we got Pilot Wings.
1: I think I'd rather play this than Pilot Wings personally. Pilot
0: Wings is a cool little tech demo, but I don't think much more of it than that. And then at number 25, we've got
1: Final Fight. I mean, we've, we've talked before about how Final Fight is kind of a hobbled port of a better game. The the suite of kind of two-player options in this, I think, does push it up more than, than Final Fight.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I think um, I would say it's better than Super Smash TV at number 24 as well. I think it's just going to keep going up here. Uh, we got Populous at number
1: 23. I, I'd put this above Populous. What do you think about Draken? I
0: think it goes above Draken too. I think Rival Turf is a good conversation to have.
1: Okay, let's talk about that, then. Because, uh, yeah, Rival Turf... You know, kind of janky, pretty quirky, but, you know, a fun beat-em-up, uh, two-player beat-em-up. But uh, I don't know, because uh, I, I I do like all the personality, like the kind of weird personality that Rival Turf has.
0: I like Rival Turf as just kind of a weird thing that exists, but I I don't know if I would want to put it above Super Soccer, just because Super Soccer shows a level of polish that Rival Turf absolutely does not have. What do you add. think
1: about, if we go up a little further, what do you think about the Addams Family as a comparison point for this?
0: I think Addams Family is a pretty solid platformer, and I don't know if I would put this above Adams Family.
1: The, the space between... Rival Turf and Adams Family contain several games that I think we were pretty we were pretty positive on. It's weird. I'm honestly at kind of a loss for where to put this game. I
0: mean, you know, at the end of the day, like this is our list, and we're not huge sports people. Honestly, I'm maybe okay just putting it like right above Rival Turf and calling it in a day. How would you yeah, feel about that? I
1: think that's fair because that'll put it just outside the top twenty. And I think once we go up from Rival Turf, I start having stronger opinions about these games. And I just don't have... As much as I did enjoy playing Super Soccer, I don't have a tremendously strong like overall feeling about this game. I would
0: say like, if somebody says, Hey, I like things like John Madden Football, and I'm looking for a new sports game that I've maybe never tried on the Super Nintendo, I would definitely say, Hey, try Super Soccer. But again, like, if you're not already a sports person who enjoys video sports... You know, this game isn't going to change your mind about that. No,
1: it's not. So, okay. I feel like that's good. So Super Soccer shall henceforth be our new number 21 game.
0: All right. So Super Soccer is our new number 21, our, now our highest rated sports game on this list. And uh, with that, uh, we're actually entering into a new month. We're now getting into June of 1992. And I guess that means it's time to kick things over to Newsy. June 1992. Batman Returns opens and goes on to make over $162 billion. Chris crosses is out and Mariah Carey is back in with I'll Be There topping the charts for two weeks. And Dan Quayle instructs an elementary age spelling bee contestant to misspell the word potato in Trenton, New Jersey. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. All right, thank you very much, Newsy. And uh, yeah, so Batman Returns. Um
1: kind of surprised that one came out in the summer. I always assumed that was actually a movie that came out around Christmas time, given that it's set at Christmas and has such a strong, like, the christmas-y, christmasy aesthetic but yeah i guess that's just one of a uh, number of very unusual things about that movie
0: i mean it's still a superhero movie still got to come out in the summer be the the summer blockbuster i yeah, guess so. yeah yeah
1: even if it's a weird uncomfortable ugly mean-spirited uh, superhero movie like that one i actually like that movie i know that movie scared me as a kid i think it probably scared a lot of kids but I, uh, i think that movie is kind of kind of cool uh in just how aggressively Tim Burtony it is
0: of course we got Dan Quail uh misspelling potato at a spelling bee and therefore um outraging Idahoans everywhere and to the point where Idaho would never vote republican again uh, oh wait i'm getting an update here oh no no um Idaho constantly votes republican so <laughs> At least they don't have many electoral votes, so they don't matter. Yeah, yeah. Take that, Idaho. Really, really giving it to Idaho here in, in this episode. <laughs> I feel like I can. I lived there for a couple of years, so yeah. So, do we want to move on to uh, to our next game now that we've? Uh...
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, so next up, uh, what do we have next?
0: Yeah, so up next we've got uh, Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank. War in the Gulf.
1: That is a long title. That is a very long title. Yep.
0: Uh, this is the sequel to Gary Kitchen's Battle Tank, which came out on the NES by Imagineering.
1: I was kind of surprised looking at this that this wasn't an adaptation of like a, a computer game franchise. Because it, it does seem like something that maybe would have been more at home on a computer. But no, this these are... These are console games. Do yep. you want to talk a little bit about where this comes from and kind of what the background of this thing is? Yeah.
0: So this is um, developed by Imagineering and published by Absolute Entertainment. Uh, this is a game that by some accounts maybe started life in the cockpit of a futuristic spacecraft before becoming a, a tank simulator. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that. So what's interesting about the original game is that it didn't really have any specific war or conflict attached to it uh, via its title. It was still set in a desert-type landscape, but didn't outright claim to be uh, representing a specific conflict. Uh, But in the sequel, though, all that doubt flies out the window because it's right there in the title, War in the Gulf, that uh, this game is supposed to be about the Gulf War.
1: Yeah, this is a Desert Storm game. Um and yeah, the 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 levels are named after specific places uh in in that conflict uh and you get little pre and post mission briefings with a uh repeating gif of a like military commander giving you the lowdown on on what you need to do there that does specifically reference uh where where you are. And can I just say that,
0: that gif of that military commander with his mustache and everything looks weirdly like Saddam Hussein for a game about this.
1: It <laughs> does kind of, doesn't it? It's yeah. very strange. <laughs> so Gary Kitchen, he worked on uh, a few games that are kind of infamously poorly regarded, and also... You know, those were not games that had his name on them like this one does. He worked actually on uh, the, the Home Alone game that we talked about a number of episodes back. He worked on several of the NES uh, Simpsons games, which are not very well regarded. Uh, I believe he also worked on the original uh, A Boy and His Blob. The Battle Tank series is is one that he, he was like the overall game designer. Yeah, on, so though. he actually founded
0: Absolute Entertainment, and he's currently the president and CEO of a company called Skyworks, uh, which is... He also co-founded, so maybe his claim to fame is more just founding these companies rather than actually creating games. Although, I mean, he has had his hands on a lot of different things over the years. Um, He also worked on the uh, Atari port of Donkey Kong.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: So he's a guy who's been around for a a while. It's just kind of strange seeing his name on this game because he isn't like – you know, a, a Miyamoto or somebody who's like a household name in video games. I
1: mean, he's he's not like a Will Wright or a Sid Meier, you know? It is a little strange, and it, it honestly feels almost like they just wanted to kind of give this, give these games sort of like an air of sophistication, I guess. I don't know. This game is really strange. I can't say that I personally like it very much but I do I do get what it's going for and it's not bad at what it's doing. This is a tank combat game. It's in some ways pretty uh y but in other ways a little bit more simulationy. I talked before about how this kind of feels like it's of a piece with like uh like mech combat games uh, like a you know kind of uh mech warrior sort of thing. It also feels a decent bit like the flight simulator type of games that were were around um on the NES at the time. You're very heavily situated in the cockpit. You do have to, you know, pay attention to things like uh your amount of ammo and kind of your positioning on the map. I don't think there's a fuel concern in this, which is kind of nice. But... Actually there
0: is. There there is fuel and because I, I was reading a fact about the game, and in later levels, you do need to concern yourself with refueling the tank. There will be places where you can do that, but when the missions have a little bit more going on and, and you have to be on the field for longer, then your fuel reserves will last. Yeah, that does become a concern later on. You know, I mean, I think this game is fine it controls well enough
1: i had a lot of trouble finding the enemy units on the map personally well
0: i found myself switching between the tank view and the map view where you know the map sort of helps you determine where you are and but you know what i found was that i was starting to move the tank and then pulling up the map the tank would continue moving which you know is kind of a good and bad thing because it can take you a while to get to the enemy sometimes but I also found that because I'm, like, constantly switching between having control of my tank and pulling up the map and the tank is still moving, that that is, like, just sort of leading me into minefields. And that's what took me out way more often than the enemy Yeah, did.
1: absolutely. That's that's for sure what happened to me as well. I don't know. It's, it's kind of satisfying, though, to finally, you know, come up on an enemy tank and uh, just blast it to smithereens. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know what it is about this, uh, you know, whether it's the style of game just not really clicking with me in this in this way, whether it's, like, me just not liking the aesthetic very much, or, or, or whatever it is, but I just didn't have a lot of fun with this, even though I would agree that it's basically fun.
0: throughout the game is is pretty limited like you're just looking out the porthole or whatever of your tank is you're sort of playing the tank driver tank pilot i don't actually know what you call a person who's commanding a tank but uh but in any case you know because this game is dealing with the subject matter that it's dealing with you can't help but bring politics into it because, I mean, the politics are kind of baked into it. Now, I don't I don't know a ton about, you know, this era of military history. You know, this all happened when we were pretty little and, and probably not paying a ton of attention to this sort of thing. But I just find something maybe a little bit distasteful about this sort of presentation of a recent military conflict in this sort of uncritical way on a system that's mostly being marketed to children. Like, it just feels weird to me. That this is a thing. Like again, like if this had come out on PC, that would make more sense. The
1: the age group that sort of stuff on the Super Nintendo was was commonly targeted at was a lot younger than, than that PC audience.
0: Yeah. And then even politics aside, I mean, you know, you are dealing with a literal tank, so you've got tank controls to deal with, and the action is pretty slow going, and <laughs> I don't know if a lot of kids that age would have even had the patience for something like that. Yeah,
1: I don't think I would have really known what to make of this in those days. I still have trouble dealing with sort of the way this game's like movement and, you know, controls are set up. I don't, I don't really know what else to say about that that aspect of it. But I do I do agree with you about kind of the weird sort of f- feel of a game that's this this heavily based on, uh, like, a, a then very current military conflict.
0: Yeah, like, something that just happened. I mean, like, this game could have been being marketed to children whose older siblings had just died in this conflict. Like, that's that's how f- soon this was. It's weird, yeah. So for ranking this one, I'm, I'm looking pretty low on the list. I mean, again, because it's fine, I'm looking at maybe something like I don't know, like, maybe starting from, like, the Chess Master. Like, I, I think this goes probably below the Chess Master. But I,
1: I do think that's fair, just because this is another... that That is another game that is fine for, like, what it is, but is also very little more than
0: that. Uh, at 48, we've got World League Soccer. Which
1: we were kind of just slagging a little bit. There's, there's aspects of that that I don't enjoy, but I did at least find that, you know, easier to get my head
0: around. Okay, so this... Keeps going lower.
1: I think so, yeah. Okay, so then at 49, we've got Super Ghouls and Ghosts. At least I like looking at Super Ghouls and Ghosts. I don't really like looking at this game particularly. I don't think the graphics are bad, but they are just kind of basically realistic depictions of deserts and military equipment. Personally, I think I might put this between Super Ghouls and Ghosts and Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2, just because, I mean, we both talked about how we we just couldn't really figure out how to play romance of the three kingdoms too yeah you
0: know what? i was kind of thinking exactly the same thing that these are both sort of military type games and you know which is definitely not our thing for various reasons but at least this game was trying to make a game that the average person that the average kid could figure out whereas romance of the three kingdoms too like I don't think they had any concern over that. It was just like, hey, if you like this kind of game, here it is. If you don't, we we do not care about you. Uh,
1: Gary Kitchen's b- Super Battle Tank, War in the Gulf, our new number 50 game.
0: Congratulations, Gary Kitchen. You're in the top 50. Um, And, hey, with that, we've got 60 games on this list.
1: We do. Yeah, that's cool. Another nice round number there.
0: Love those nice round numbers. And uh, I also like uh, nice round balls, like the ones that you might play in a certain futuristic sports setting.
1: Maybe. I don't even know if this looks like a ball, honestly. Uh, (laughs) It's like a weird Um, weird little pod. (laughs) Up is space football one-on-one and uh if you're wondering how you play football one-on-one that's a good question i still don't know the answer because uh whether you're talking about soccer or american football uh i don't really feel like this game really resembles either one very much
0: yeah it's Definitely more like soccer than American football, but yeah, even that would be pretty generous. (laughs) Yeah, so this is Space Football, which comes to us courtesy of developer Argonaut Software, which is best known as the studio that collaborated with Nintendo to create Star Fox. You know, you can see a little bit of what Star Fox would be eventually kind of in this game, although honestly, like, a better... Example of the seeds of Star Fox being planted would be the Japanese-only Game Boy game, X, which Argonaut also worked on. Uh, That was a space shooter, just like Star Fox was. So, uh, yeah, and this game's publisher was Trifix Entertainment. I
1: think maybe that's supposed to be Trifix, but... Like terrifics entertainment, but well, I
0: mean, they didn't uh, do the hyphen thing, they or didn't anything. do the just...
1: hyphen, so terrifics, it's terrifics.
0: Yep, um, also maybe it was supposed to be try because they only published three games, from what <laughs> I can tell, <laughs> all for the Super Nintendo,
1: and that's about
0: it. Uh, there was also a trademark for Rollo games on the first screen, um, mm, interesting, and I found even less information about that studio, (laughs) so they might have had something to do with Dream TV, which is one of the other games that Trifix published. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another company called... Bits that's credited along with Argonaut, and I don't know if they were like a contractor, a collaborator, or whatever. I don't know. There's so many logos on this game, and there's so little information about any of those companies. To me,
1: it looks like Bits is like a contract developer, sort of like the the Western equivalent of one of those like Shadow developers we've talked about that were done by Japanese games because they do seem to have a bunch of different games published by completely different uh, publishers that I didn't, uh, some of which I had heard of, but which I did not realize were their games. So it's possible they did some work with with Argonaut on this. It's it's a weird soup of different companies that all came together to make kind of a weird soup of a game as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you thought figuring out who made this game was difficult, wait until you actually try playing it. Space football in Japan was called Super Linear Ball, which is hot nonsense, but also somehow makes more sense than being called Space Football.
1: I think Space Football is the name you give a game like this when you just have no idea what it is or how to sell it to people, but you want to be like, well, it's a game with a ball, and you do have to get it away from somebody and put it in a goal, so... Space football. Sure, there you go. At
0: least the one-on-one part is accurate. Uh, The game has the player facing off either against another player or the computer. They are both encased in strange hovercraft-looking things, which feels less like the game trying to be futuristic and more as an excuse to not have to animate player sprites. And so the objective of the game is to take the weird... Ball pod thing and put it into your opponent's goal. But there's a lot of things standing between you and the goal, and your opponent's hovercraft, complete with projectiles is the least of your worries. All the playfields have weird barriers and spinners and other obstacles that just make this game infuriating. Because it utilizes Mode 7, all of these things are just on the ground, and when you're very close to them, you can't always even see what it is you're on top of or right in front of. So sometimes you just can't move, and
1: you don't entirely know why, and... Oh, it's a mess. It's a real mess. Uh, It's so chaotic. And like you said, it's very hard to see anything that's that's coming up on you. These arenas are very hard to navigate, and it's very easy to just sort of accidentally stumble upon a thing that's just going to bounce you in the other direction or smack the ball away from you or, or something. The thing I would say it's the most like is if... You took the bonus stages in Sonic CD and and just, like, zoomed the perspective way down so you're, like, right above the ground and you can't see practically anything. That's almost like what you're talking about. Like, I don't know that I'd say this game is, a, is, is exactly a chore to play, but it's just, I felt really nonplussed by this. Just very much like, okay, what is happening? All
0: of the little zoom pads and everything else were just pinballing me all around the field, and I only had a vague sense of what was happening. Sometimes I could grab the pod, but inexplicably, the game only lets you hold on to the ball pod thing for four seconds at a time before it just launches out from your hovercraft. And how you're supposed to accomplish anything in this game, given all of these constraints, is beyond me. Everything just feels chaotic for the sake of being chaotic. And it's... It's maddening in a way, it's frustrating, it's
1: not fun. No, it's not fun. If I had even a little bit of a better grasp on how to to do what you're supposed to do in this game, I think it may actually be more frustrating because then I would have like a clear goal that I was working towards and things that were stopping me. But in this it's just you're just thrown into this chaotic soup of elements and it's hard to like feel even mad at it. It's just like, okay, this is happening. I I guess it'll keep happening until I stop playing the game.
0: There's the fact that your hovercrafts are equipped with some kind of gun that you can fire, but it doesn't seem to have a huge impact on play.
1: No, it doesn't seem to do anything.
0: Like, when you're talking about a soup, like, yeah, it feels like they had all these ingredients for this game that they just kind of threw together and just didn't think of a good, coherent way in which all these systems should interact with each other. Like, if if they didn't have all of the, like, weird spinners and zoom pads and barriers, like, if if the field was more plain and the game was just more about the competition, the one-on-one aspect and maybe shooting your projectile to get the ball away from your opponent. Like, it would almost be a better game if there was less going on.
1: If each arena had maybe half as many obstacles in it, you'd probably have a better time actually playing this game.
0: disappointing because you know i will say one thing like i love the aesthetic of this game the
1: backgrounds look really neat i think
0: yeah it, the, the backgrounds like have what i would call in hindsight a sort of 90s retro futuristic look to it and they were just going for the futuristic look of the time that you know was adorning you know sci-fi pop novels and background sets for cheap Sci fi productions and things like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's got it's got kind of like a two thousand AD sort of look, you know, like a British British sci-fi comics sort of look, I guess, to some extent. I, I think it's neat.
0: So the graphics are maybe, like, the only thing I can really speak positively to. The character portraits are some of the most hideous things I've ever seen, though. Oh,
1: man. The portrait of, like, I guess there's different characters you can select. I didn't find this out until later, but the default guy is, like, one of the most poorly drawn human faces I've ever seen. It's amazing. All of
0: the character portraits are so bad that I kind of felt like that it had to be on purpose, right? Like, yeah, right, Like, didn't right. accidentally draw all of these this, this poorly and this ugly look looking uh on accident
1: i mean you were talking about dan quayle earlier that guy literally just looks like a potato <laughs> like it's so bad
0: yeah so even like with the aesthetic of it i can't say that like all of it works because i, I think they I, I just think that that's ugly and not really in a fun way just in a kind of like uh, these these look kind of lazy sort of way Yeah, there's not much else to this game. I don't know if I've got much else to say about it.
1: Me either. Uh, What we've kind of been alluding to is the idea that, like, if they had focused a little more on any of the like many elements in the actual gameplay and kind of drilled down on them. They could have made a pretty cool game out of this, but it's just too unfocused and too messy to really work like that.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think unfocused that's, that's hitting the nail on the head right there is what this game feels like is just incredibly unfocused. So, Hey, speaking of futuristic sports titles, we got Bill Lane beers, combat basketball at uh, number 54 right now. And I think that might be a good place to start.
1: I do too. Beyond them just being futuristic sports games, there are some commonalities here. I do think that I enjoyed space football one on one more than Bill Lambier's combat basketball. At the very least enjoyed looking at it, which is not something I could say about Bill Lambier's game. Aesthetically,
0: yeah, this this game is head and shoulders above Bill Lambier, but Bill Lambier's game at least is more Functional, although I would say it's like it's very simple and boring, so I don't even know if I Yeah, even... I don't
1: know if that even matters in this case. Like it's functional, but it's so unfun to play that honestly I think I'd rather take the chaos of this over that.
0: It's certainly a more ambitious game.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so above Bill Lambert's combat basketball is WWF Super WrestleMania.
0: Hey, everyone. Just chiming in to let you know that I apparently mixed up the order of Zardion and WWF on our list. That's why we are a bit confused here, but we get it sorted out. Uh, Emmy's list was correct the entire time, so nothing actually gets changed. Just wanted to let you know. All right. So, folks, we're in kind of a weird predicament right now. Um, We just realized that we both have different orders on our list here for WWF, Super WrestleMania, and Zardion. I've got... Wrestlemania above Zardion and Emmy's got Zardion above WrestleMania and we do not exactly remember what the order was supposed to be. So, I guess we're going to take these both as kind of like a clump
1: maybe. Uh yeah, I guess that's sort of what we've got to do right now. <laughs> um you know, I would say actually that I think I probably liked Zardion a little more than this game just because I thought its story was weird and interesting even though it wasn't really like a fun game to play. So if we're treating that and Super WrestleMania as a group right here, I would probably recommend we put this below those. <laughs> Even though if we were doing it just individually, I probably would put this between Zardion and Super WrestleMania if assuming the list is in the order I have it in. I
0: kind of feel the same way actually and and so you know what? Okay, it's going to go Zardion Space football WWF is that what we were thinking? Yeah, I I think that sounds right to me. So I'm going to assume that your list was correct because I've got a hard time believing that we put Zardion below WWF.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Zardion is now at number fifty two if it wasn't before, and Space Football One on One is going to be our new number fifty three. That is the list now, and uh, I will check on that later and see what on earth happened there. Um, But in any case, let's move on to our last game for the day. And that last game is Krusty's Super Funhouse.
1: Hey, hey, kids. It's your favorite drunk clown.
0: (laughs) We're finally going to talk about a claim. And actually, what is sort of funny here is that... uh, we did talk about Claim a little bit. I just forgot about it in our episode about WWF, which I apparently forgot a lot <laughs> about that episode. <laughs> In any case, we're going to do a deeper dive into Acclaim because I do find them to be a very fascinating company. So uh, they were founded in 1987, pretty prolific publisher, uh, producing a lot of games in the late 80s, throughout the 90s. Some of the games published under other labels, like one of their labels was the sort of infamous LJN, which uh, is known for producing a lot of pretty poor quality stuff from the NES era.
1: I'm sorry, before you go any further, isn't there a story about why Acclaim has the name?
0: That it has. Oh yeah, you know what? There is. Um, because Acclaim wanted to come alphabetically before Activision, and that is why they came up with the name Acclaim.
1: Yep, two C's. It'll be above. Uh, it'll be above Activision in the phone book if they do that. So that's why they're Acclaim specifically, and not any other name.
0: And the the LJN name is also another interesting story, but we will cover that when we actually talk about an LJN game for this show. But in any case, um. Acclaim went on a bit of a spending spree in the 90s, acquiring a lot of really prominent and promising studios like – London-based Probe Entertainment, who we've talked about before, Uh, Manchester-based Software Creations, which I think we talked about.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about them.
0: Yeah, and Salt Lake City-based Sculptured Software, who I'm almost positive we've talked about before.
1: Later on, they would also acquire Iguana Entertainment. I believe that is an Austin, Texas-based studio who did the uh, Turok the Dinosaur Hunter games for Acclaim. Uh, they, uh, they had quite a run of it there.
0: Speaking of Turok, the other thing that Acclaim acquired in 1994 was Voyager Communications, which brought Valiant Comics into the fold. Not as prominent as, like, say, Marvel or DC or even something like Image. Valiant had a lot of characters for Acclaim to turn into transmedia properties. So that is how we got video games like Turok the Dinosaur Hunter and Shadow Man. Those were both based on existing Valiant licenses. Um, Another thing Acclaim was kind of known for doing was just renaming all of their acquisitions Acclaim, like Valiant Comics became Acclaim Comics, which I feel like that was maybe a bad move if you're acquiring things because they've got drawing power, maybe – leave those Maybe names them intact name. yeah yeah so yeah but acclaim had aspirations to be the next giant media conglomerate like not even like the next activision but think like the next warner brothers and unfortunately while they were prominent in the world of video games their output often lacked the quality of a lot of its contemporaries which is why they acquired so many well-known studios because acclaim themselves weren't really putting out high-quality products So, yeah, the idea of a claim reaching the heights of, like, a Warner Brothers was always going to be a long shot. And sure enough, by 2004, between just spending too much and also, um, according to some articles, the loss of some of their more prominent licenses, these things combined were just bleeding the company dry. And and in the end, um, they would go down and take all of those acquisitions with them, sadly. Some of those have kind of risen from the ashes in one way or another. Uh, Valiant Comics made a return in 2012. Yeah, just all around a fascinating company and a company who just had these grand ambitions that were just constantly overreaching their – actual abilities.
1: They did a bunch of stuff to try to kind of pump up interest in them, including a bunch of very weird marketing gimmicks. Uh, Probably the most infamous ones, I would say are the time that uh, for the sequel to Turok, the dinosaur hunter, uh, they, I I think promised like a, a large cash prize to any people that were about to have a baby who would be willing to name their baby Turok. Yeah. Uh, That's one. Uh, They also put real, Tombstones in actual cemeteries to advertise Shadow Man when that was coming out, which uh, made some people deeply upset, as you'd imagine. They had a a, a weird, let's do something strange and shocking to get people talking about us, all publicity is good publicity concept for how to promote themselves.
0: Yeah, they were definitely trying to be gimmicky to get their name out there. And unfortunately, without the the really quality products out there, it wasn't going to be enough to elevate them beyond, you know, kind of a B-tier publisher. And I don't think they ever really escaped that, you know? I mean, even though some of their games were quite good, I really liked Shadow Man for the N64. I really enjoyed that game back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it isn't what I would call, you know, like, one of the the crown jewels of the N64 library.
1: Didn't they also do the home port of, uh, home ports of, of, uh, the Mortal Kombat games?
0: They did some of them, yeah. Some of
1: them. They did the Super Nintendo versions of Mortal Kombat 1 and Mortal Kombat 2. We'll eventually talk about those, but that, that Super Nintendo port of Mortal Kombat 2 is very, very good. They... They do have some quality stuff to their name, and they uh, they also made a lot of licensed games. And one of the licenses that they had in this era was the Simpsons license. So that's how we end up with this game.
0: Switching gears from Acclaim, the publisher, we're going to talk a little bit about Audiogenic, who developed the game. Uh, Not nearly as storied as Acclaim, but uh, they're a U.K. developer who seems to have published various games for various systems between 1984 and 1996. Some of their games include puzzle game series like Loops and Blockbuster and a handful of cricket and rugby games. They also based games on licenses, some really out there licenses like Perry Mason and Fahrenheit 451, among others they still have an active website. I checked that out in researching for this game. Uh, A link prompted me to see, hey, look what we're doing now. So I clicked on that because the website that I went to from the Wikipedia article didn't look like it'd been updated in a while. So that other link on that website took me to lostcousins.com, which is a genealogy website. So I guess that's what audiogenic does
1: now is genealogy software? You know, video games are a hard business and, uh, you know, props to the company for still being in existence, even if they're not doing video games anymore.
0: Yeah, sure. That's a big lateral shift, I guess. But anyway, so this game started life as a game called Rat Trap, which they were developing for the Amiga, which was a Lemmings-like game where the objective wasn't to lead the characters to safety, but rather to lead them to their doom. Uh, Instead of playing a sort of hand of God, assigning the titular characters to their jobs, the player had direct control over a character who could alter the layout of the level to some extent, which would lead the, in this case, rats, to a contraption at the end that would dispose of them. Uh, once Acclaim got involved, they decided that the game needed a licensed facelift and just happened to have the Simpsons license at the time, so they threw a Simpsons coat of paint over the entire affair, and what we got was Krusty's Super Fun House. Yeah, so this combines uh, puzzle platforming... Much like Lemmings with a more traditional run and gun,
1: I guess you could say, type of platform game. What what I would say is that this game is basically a puzzle comma platformer, you know? There's parts of the levels where you're doing what you just described with having to lead this stream of rats from one part of the level to another part of the level. Then there are also parts that are more kind of just pure, um, you know, action platformer stuff. So the two parts are usually kind of interwoven, but sometimes it, it feels more like you're kind of going through one part to get to the other part and then going back to the exit again.
0: I like the platforming aspect of the game. I like the Lemmings-like puzzle parts of the game. I don't know if these two things always blend together extremely well. Like, on repeated playthroughs of some of the first levels, I kind of realized, okay, I think the game's hook is that there is a sort of ideal way to maneuver through the level that not only gets you through all the little nooks and crannies where you can collect items to get points, but that's also going to be more conducive to altering the level in a way that's going to get all the rats up to the machine in the most efficient way possible, and then loop you back to the entrance where you'll exit the level once all of the rats are gone. One thing I found kind of uh, disappointing about this game is the lack of information. Like, the game doesn't give you things like a timer, even though there is a timer, because you'll get a time bonus if you complete the level within a certain amount of time. The other thing that is annoying is that you don't have a health meter.
1: But you do have a health meter. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you do have a a specific number of times you can get hit before you die, but yeah, the game doesn't visually tell you that at all. Yeah, the only thing that you get is if Krusty is
0: one hit away from death, his idle animation will change. Uh, Other than that, yeah, like, no indication at all that, you know, you have your X number of hits away from losing a life. The other thing the game doesn't really tell you on screen is how many rats are left. These levels are big. You don't have like the huge viewing area that you do in something like Lemmings, making the characters really small. The characters are a lot bigger, but that means you can't see as much of the play field. Uh, at any given time. So a lot of the time, you're just going to kind of have to hope if you want to be really efficient that all the rats are marching towards their death and that you don't need to do anything else and you can start heading back towards the entrance. You know, like you'll see your score go up anytime a rat is killed, but you don't necessarily know like, okay, do I, did I kill all the rats? Did I not kill all the rats? And sometimes you're just waiting there by the entrance and I hope eventually Krusty waves at me and it indicates that, I completed the
1: level, you know? Yeah, I had I had moments like that as well, where I just felt kind of lost. Like, I think I did everything in this level, but I guess not. So let me go back and try again.
0: Also, the enemies in this game are really frustrating to deal with. Because your ammo is always so limited, and all of the enemies can fire projectiles, I often found myself in a predicament where, oh, I don't have any more pies to throw, so... I guess I'm just going to have to tank this damage and hope that it doesn't kill me when I maneuver through all these snakes over here. And also, the enemy movements seemed kind of random to me. Did, were you getting that?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I kind of went through the first few levels of this, assuming that I could really kind of count on the enemy patterns being repetitive, And uh, then I got pretty wrong-footed by it by, like, the fourth or fifth level. And yeah, uh, that was really frustrating, because that was also around the time that I started really running out of ammo. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like, there's a lot of fun ideas in this. and, And sometimes they work really well, but sometimes they just don't. Like sometimes they just don't – sometimes an individual level or like a part of a level just doesn't come together the way that I feel like it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also am disappointed by the idea that the game even has lives, so you're at risk of losing a significant amount of progress, which was a limitation Lemmings did not put on the player. And I think that was the right move, especially since you can get to an unwinnable state in some levels. And if you do that, you just kind of have to have Krusty commit suicide and, uh, and you lose a life for that. So, not only do you have to keep Krusty safe from all the enemies, but you have to actually complete a level once you're in it, or you lose a life.
1: Yeah, I feel like if the game is going to have these unwinnable states, it really shouldn't have lives. Like, that above all else is just, uh, just a poor decision.
0: I, I do like the visuals. I, I like all the little Simpson touches, all the little signs, you know, like advertising for Moe's Tavern and other things yeah, like that. Yeah. I thought that was neat. You know, I liked the little cameos by. Bart and Homer and other characters as the operators of the machines that were going to kill the mice and the rats.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I agree. And uh, I like the rats themselves. I think the rats have like a fun sort of very Matt Groening-esque like design to them that makes them look like an appropriate part of this setting and not just as like generic video game characters.
0: I think it's a good use of the Simpsons license. And unfortunately I think it's probably going to end up being the best use of the Simpsons <laughs> yeah. license on this system. Yeah.
1: Cause uh, we got a couple other Simpsons games coming up in the not too distant future. And uh, I can pretty much guarantee they are not going to be as sound as this one.
0: Um, in any case. Yeah. I think this game has some really great ideas. I think this game can be a lot of fun. I think there are a few decisions that I wish were made differently that would have made it a lot more engaging and you know would have kept I think uh players from bouncing out of it because I think once you get a game over if you lose a significant amount of progress that that can be really discouraging in a game like this. Right. Um, yeah. Especially when like having to wait for the rats to get into the right position to you know do the thing that you need to do to get them to the end of the level like it just can become a waiting game and that can really take the wind out of a lot of people's sails. No,
1: I I agree. And one thing that's pretty different about this game versus Lemmings is that whereas with Lemmings, it, it kind of relied on you assigning all these different jobs to the Lemmings to essentially solve the physical puzzles in the levels um, in this, you're kind of for the most part trying to kind of uh, uh, change the path of the rats so that they kind of make the the appropriate course through these big um, kind of like Rube Goldberg machines basically. So the puzzling is more physical in this but it also means that you have to hit a series of marks often in order to make sure they all go through and yeah that does just that does just take time and it can become extremely draining feeling if you have to do the same level several times. So you know uh i like this game despite its problems i would say
0: yeah me too I, I definitely found a lot here to like about it just a few tweaks here and i think that this would be a really highly recommendable game but as it is it just kind of feels like a sort of a b-tier game which i guess you know is appropriate for an acclaimed game <laughs> yeah Well, do we want to talk about where this goes on the list?
1: Yeah, I think so. Tell me what you think about this. Somewhere in kind of the, like, Paperboy 2... To, to to Arcana sort of tier.
0: I think starting it with Paperboy 2 is like the floor is good because, um, yeah, I definitely think it belongs above Paperboy 2. Where were you thinking about for this one? I definitely don't know if it reaches the highs of some of the better sports games that we've played on the system at this point. I think as a game, maybe this is a little bit more fun than Arcana, actually. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah, I, I liked some stuff about Arcana, but, or Arcana, Arcana, let's call the whole thing off, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this works better as a game. Like, I, I think that despite its flaws, I, I think Arcana is maybe even a little bit more flawed to the point that I, I it's harder to recommend than Krusty Super Fun House. So Arcana's at number 31. Above that, we've got PGA Tour Golf. And uh, above that, we've got Howl's Hole in one at 29 i'll be honest i'm not sure i would put this above either of them i'm
1: not either so maybe putting it uh putting it between pga tour golf and arcana is is the place for yeah it. i think so i i think that's where we're gonna put it okay sounds good to me all
0: right so crusty's super fun house is our new 31
1: smack dab right in the middle of the list
0: hey yeah it is finally john madden's not in the middle anymore yeah now it's all crusty dude. yep you know what is kind of funny I, i'm remembering a simpsons commercial now where the simpsons were winning all these video game awards and <laughs> Krusty was hosting and then at the end he's like oh hey don't forget about crusty's super fun house it's like yeah don't forget about that that's clearly the best one out of all of these
1: right yeah <laughs> oh. best performance on snes oh sports nightmare i don't believe it why, little... Look for a winning Simpsons video
0: game for every system.
1: Don't forget house Funhouse. Lego like, oh me it's winning. Oh.
0: Well, I think that's going to do it for today.
1: Interesting set of games. I'm not mad about having played any of them. Yeah, just threaded all through kind of the middle ranges of the list, basically. This is a week where I feel like, you know, I never would have played these games for the most part if we hadn't been doing the show. And yeah, uh, I'm glad to have spent some time with them. So anyway, I guess uh, we'll
0: talk about what we're going to talk about next time to get you all excited for the next episode. So next time we've got more soccer. Apparently we've got super soccer champ.
1: Which, okay.
0: That's okay. i will have to check that out. To make sure that that's not actually just the same game with
1: a different name. I, that, that's weird. But it is from uh Taito corporation. So it is, it is a different publisher at the very least. So yeah, so we got that. We've got thunder
0: spirits, which I'm going to, Guess it's not a game about alcohol. We've got Clue, or, uh, you know, for our British listeners, Cluedo. And then, finally, the rather unfortunately named Spanky's Quest.
1: Yeah, that game's (laughs) gotta be better than that title, right? I feel like, making it even weirder, I think the
0: character of Spanky is actually a monkey.
1: Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) All right, well, we'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, it'll be great, I'm sure. It'll be really good. Uh, So join us next time for all of that fun. Uh, We thank you so much, as always, for being here, spending this time with us, and going through the Super Nintendo's library. We are in the thick of it now. We are right in the middle of of 1992 it's just gonna get better from here i'm sure oh yeah
0: (laughs) yep all right folks well as always thanks for listening until next time i'm steampunk link
1: i'm emmy zero
0: play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now, Brown Cow by TechnoAxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at TechnoAxe.com. For more of our content, check out HonestPiranha.com. Thanks for listening.
1: How could you, Krusty? I never lend my name to an inferior product. Oh, they drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. I'm not made of stone. Ha 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 ha!